On this episode, I give you my recipe to fix and save the Michigan football program and then take a quick look at the pieces of the Michigan State football team. Who's trending up and who's trending down? Let's do it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Michigan State of Sports, where it's generally not going very well, but I like to talk about it anyway. As always, I'm your host, Tony Garcia, and today we have a very simple task. We're fixing the Michigan football team, and truthfully, it's not something that's nearly as hard to do as Michigan has made it look. So we're going to go through a five-step process in order to fix this formerly great program that has been pedestrian for the last 15 years. A reminder that you can find this show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and as always, please, please, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this with your friends and family. You love it. They'll love it. We all love it. This episode is brought to you by Cutting Edge Landscaping. It's getting cold outside, and we're fortunate that there hasn't been any snow yet, but we know it's only a matter of time. So don't freeze your ass off trying to snow blow your driveway or break your back trying to shovel the walk. Leave it to the professionals. Cutting Edge, an Ann Arbor-based family company, has been in business for more than 25 years, providing A-plus service to all of their customers. I mean, I have personally recommended Joe and his team to my parents and family friends. So I'm not just saying it. I mean it. That's, That's who we use. That's who we go to. They will come to your house every single time it snows to make sure your property is taken care of all winter long. So don't wait any longer. Head over to a2cuttingedge.com, get a quote, and see how Joe and his team can help you this winter. Tell them you heard it from Tony from the Michigan State of Sports podcast, and you will be thrilled with the price you can get. When you want to win, call Cutting Edge Landscaping. I know the Michigan football team wishes they could call Cutting Edge, to pick up an easy win because they've been damn hard to come by for the maize and blue this year. And we all know that there's been a multitude of reasons for why losing 10 players to the draft, others holding out, opting out, a few key injuries, all of that. But too often, Michigan has been reactive and not proactive. That's people in the program. That's people who cover the program. That's people who are followers of the program. They're looking for excuses and not accountability. And that's not what we're doing here. Not today. So instead of looking at what went wrong, we're going to look at what Michigan can do to get things right. Five steps. And the first step, you already know what I'm going to say. But remember, this segment is about finding solutions, not just diagnosing problems. So not only am I going to give you that step that we all know is coming right now, but I'm going to give you the fix at the end of it. Got to get rid of Harbaugh. You knew this. I knew this. But everything that's been happening around this situation, it's just been weird. There was a report earlier this week by Fox Sports' Rob Parker that Harbaugh was going to sign an extension. And let me say this. Rob Parker is the biggest hack in the game. And I'm doing my very best to make it in this industry. And it's a long, hard climb. I'm just getting started. And I, I appreciate how hard it is. And I don't like blaming the media for things. I don't like hating on people who work hard. But I hate on Rob Parker all day. And 
I mean, he is so disingenuous, so uninformed, and such a troll, it is truly impossible to respect him. I think maybe he really did hear this from somebody, potentially, possibly. He probably didn't just come up with it out of thin air, but I didn't put any stock into it. And, I mean, that's just an aside, because now there are other reports, more credible reports, coming out that Harbaugh is actually eyeing the NFL this time. So good. There will, in all likelihood, be a mutual parting of the ways at the end of the season. I mean, how could Michigan possibly extend him? It it took me almost six years, but I finally figured out who Harbaugh is. Not who he is as a person, but who he is as this Michigan coach and his parallel. Someone who has been almost identical success-wise to him. And that's another man who took over a program that was last relevant the exact same time Michigan was, who was consistently decent at his job, but never did enough to truly appease his fan base. Jim Harbaugh is Bo Pelini. These are their stats through six seasons, with Harbaugh having two games left. Against raked opponents, Pelini was 9-14. Harbaugh is 11-16. That's both five games under 500. Michigan will soon soon be six games under 500 when they lose to Ohio State next weekend. Against top 10 teams, Bo Pelini was 2-8. and eight. Jim Harbaugh is 2-12. and 12. And this is obviously Bo Pelini's time at Nebraska. Let's just make that clear if, in case that wasn't already. But they were both able to beat up on teams they should. Pelini was 49-9. and nine against unranked teams. Harbaugh is 46 and 11. So Pelini's first 6 years, 9 and 4, 10 and 4, 10 and 4, 9 and 4, 10 and 4, 9 and 4. Harbaugh, 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, 9 and 4, and now 2 and 4. But the point is even before this horrible season, you could have gotten rid of him. Bo Pelini was fired for those numbers we just said. He won nine or more games every year. They let him go. Through five years, Harbaugh was 47-18. and 18. Pelini was 48-20. and 20. Both these programs last won titles in 1997 when they split it. These are fan bases with expectations that are above their true consistent cal- caliber that the, that the programs play at. So, I mean, the parallel is there. And... Yes, you can see what can happen with Nebraska. I bet Nebraska wishes they had kept Bo Pelini, and and they they're trying to get back to nine and four and ten and four before they can take that next step. They have fallen off, so it's not a guarantee that it works. But they didn't fall off in the Pelini era the way Michigan has in this era. I mean, Michigan is a thirty-point underdog to Ohio State on Saturday. That was the opening line. Thirty points. That that's unimaginable. I mean, they've fallen off so far. They were favorites in this game two years ago. They're 30-point dogs. And it's not like Ohio State hasn't had just as much attrition as Michigan. Ohio State also had 10 people go to the draft. They had injuries. They just beat Michigan State by 40 points, despite missing 23 of their players and a third of their starters. Over half of their offensive line was gone, and they put up a 50-burger. That's what a juggernaut looks like. And 
there were reports that Harbaugh couldn't answer recruits on whether or not he would be there beyond this year. And it's already costing them on the recruiting trail. Four-star safety Isaac Thompson just picked his hometown Missouri Tigers over Michigan, despite Michigan having held all eight crystal ball predictions on 24-7 sports one week ago. Michigan continues to show it is in disarray, and people outside of the program are seeing it. That's all to say that this is the only option. This is step number one to fixing Michigan. You move on. So who are the replacements? If I'm fixing Michigan, which is what I'm doing right now, and I'm Ward Manuel right now, I'm grabbing someone who is not affiliated with the university at all. As in, if you have worked at Michigan before, that is almost the opposite of a prerequisite. Like, that will almost eliminate you from the candidate pool, in my mind. I mean, you can't be that hard-headed, but pretty damn close. You don't need the next Messiah, the next Michigan man, who knows what it is to wear the winged helmet. You need someone who knows what it is to win elsewhere. That's just, this is going to be kind of .5 later, but... You need, you need someone, a new person, who is bringing their own culture to the university. So number one on the short list, in my mind, is probably Matt Campbell. He turned Toledo into a winner, and now he has done the same at Iowa State. And I know what Michigan's thinking. We're not a Toledo coach working his way up to Michigan. That's, that's, not, that's not what this is. Rich Rod was, was already established when he came. Brady Hoke was... Uh, was a Michigan guy, and we thought we knew his caliber. Jim Harbaugh is coming here from the NFL. Bo Schembechler is the most famous coach in the history of Michigan. Lloyd Carr, his pedigree speaks for itself. But bringing in someone who knows how to fix a failing program, and right now that's what Michigan is, there's something to be said for that. And, I mean, I've heard the other names, P.J. Fleck and Pat Fitzgerald around the Big Ten have been floated around. And first of all, Fitzgerald is a Northwestern guy. He's in charge of his old program where he is a legend, and he will now play for his second Big Ten championship in a couple weeks. Michigan still hasn't gone to Indy, so he ain't coming. Fleck just signed an extension to stay in Minnesota until 2026. I mean, that doesn't feel like a real fit either. Of course, he can walk away from that. But he doesn't want to keep going from stop to stop to stop. Now, Michigan is not Minnesota. They are not the same level of stop. Minnesota was always probably one step below where he really wants to be, the real powers he wants to be at. But, I mean, Michigan has a better facilities, recruiting radius, all of that. But I just don't see it. I don't see him going there. And then Paul Feinbaum suggested Luke Fickle. And to me, that's just a joke. He is a lifetime Buckeye who has turned Cincinnati into a, a power. I mean, they are currently undefeated and have, and have the best chance of any non-Power 5 team to go to the college football playoff. Not to mention, he hates Michigan. So he's not going there either. So I just wanted to get a few na- I wanted to get a few out of the way. <laughs> Those guys aren't coming. That's not going to be it. So Matt Campbell is number one. And number two... I think an interesting fit would be David Shaw. He's 86 and 34 in nine years at Stanford. And that program also, where Harbaugh coached at in college prior to coming, but that's just coincidental. 
Harbaugh sort of helped turn that program around, of course. But Shaw kept it going when nobody thought he could. I mean, in 2015, not that long ago, Stanford was number three in the country after winning the Rose Bowl. They went 12-2. and two. I mean, he, and he has been hamstrung by a school that has really high academic standards of people who they let on their football team. Not these fake a- academic standards that Michigan has, which are literally the same as every other major school. And that's not a knock on Michigan. They don't need to have high standards for their football players. You're not coming, like Cardell Jones says, they're not coming to play school. They're coming to play football. So that's not a knock. It's just a fact. But imagine someone like David Shaw who was able to get Stanford competing very consistently at the high levels of the Pac-12 if he didn't have limitations of who he could recruit and he wasn't stuck on the West Coast for a non-traditional power. That's, I, I could see it. I mean, and it feels like they need to go in separate directions anyways. Stanford is not what it was five years ago in that 12-2 and season. So for me, Campbell and Shaw are the two nicest top options i've seen trying to get guys from the nfl eric Bieniemy and byron leftwich and these young guys uh, offensive minds who you could either pair with josh gaddis or would bring in their own staff that do- i don't see someone else the next guy coming from the nfl to michigan too i think it's going to be someone who is in charge of a program right now that doesn't have the same name recognition or pedigree that michigan generally has so step one for me to mi- fixing Michigan is to wave the white flag on this regime. If Michigan had gone 7-1 and one and, and lost to Ohio State or 6-2 and two or something, maybe you could say run it back. But the wheels, they fell off. I don't even know where they are. They fell off a while ago. And there's no heart in the players. There's no heart in the coaches. That's when you know it's time. So step number two is re-emphasize the Ohio State rivalry. And I know this is probably going to rub Michigan State fans the wrong way because Michigan should probably focus on Michigan State too considering they're 3-3 three and three in the last six meetings and that's when Michigan State has been down as a program for the last five, six years. But it, it, it is about Ohio State at Michigan. That is the measuring stick. And it amazes me how the fans seem to care more about this than the players and the coaches. And Ohio State damn sure cares more. Urban Meyer used to watch Michigan film every single week. He knew what was up in this rivalry. And instead of the they all count as one nonsense, he said, no, 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 this one means more. They're all important, but this is the most important, without question. Ohio State has a clock in their locker room counting down the seconds until they beat Michigan. I mean, Michigan has a beat Ohio State clock too, but it's not the same. They, They think and look at them differently. Ohio State feeds off of beating Michigan. Like, like a three-year-old girl feeds off of watching Frozen. I mean, it's all that matters. It, it, it is all they care about. And that needs to be Michigan's MO. And make it public. Verbally say, we have lost 14 out of the last 15. And our goal in this program is to win a national championship. To do that, we have to win the Big Ten first. And to do that, we have to beat Ohio State. That is our focus. That is our measuring stick. It's going to be our focus when we recruit, when we practice, when we game plan. And Ward Manuel should come out and say that my number one criteria for getting a new coach, I need someone who will emphasize the rivalry games and win them. Michigan needs to 
keep the score of every Ohio State game that they've lost in a row on every whiteboard, every wall, every locker in the entire facility, from Schembechler Hall to the big house. You should not be a Michigan football player and be able to walk more than two minutes without seeing a reminder. That will get Michigan back to being what Michigan fans, boosters, coaches, players, and the university at large expects. You don't need to dominate Ohio State the way they have dominated you, but it has to be a rivalry. Both teams have to win for it to be a rivalry. This is not a rivalry. Not a good one. And number three, we're not going far from that state. Get boots on the ground in Ohio on the recruiting trail. Ohio is arguably one of the top eight, six to eight best recruiting states in the country. They have wonderful high school football. Certainly it's one of the top three non-southern states. I would put it on par with almost New Jersey and I mean, you can't say California because there's just so many more guys there. But as far as Midwest, Ohio's the top. And this is what Michigan, Michigan's recruiting has looked like in that state since 2016. In 2016, zero recruits from the state. In 2017, three recruits. In 2018, zero recruits. In 2019, five recruits. In 2020, zero recruits. And in 2021, where 21 guys are currently verbally committed... There is one recruit. In three of the six last six years, going spinning forward to next year, so five, the past five years and the next year, the class that is essentially locked up, three of those six years, you haven't had a single recruit from the state. Four of the six years, you have had one or none. There have been nine recruits from the state total that you need to have a big Michigan flag planted in in six cycles. That's inexcusable. When Michigan State had success at the beginning of the decade, it emphasized Ohio. It emphasized getting there. Of course, Mark D'Antonio, being a former defensive coordinator for Ohio, for Ohio State, had ties there. So it made sense. But he also knows, look, <laughs> there are some ballers that come from this state. And there is only one power school perennially, Ohio State, in this state where Michigan and Michigan State are both competing for the same recruits in the state of Michigan. You can act like they're not if you're a Michigan fan. They are. But Ohio, before Cincinnati started swooping up a lot of these players and Kentucky started rolling in now, it was, it was just Ohio State. So you need to get in there. I mean, look at what Penn State has done to the Detroit area, coming in and poaching a ton of talent. Other big-time programs can stake their claim in a state if they want that isn't their own state. But Michigan has done a good job in New Jersey, in Florida with the IMG Academy, but Ohio, Ohio, the state of Ohio, needs to be a higher priority. Get local guys. Start winning some battles against Ohio State in the recruiting war. You have to to get back on track. You have to get someone who is also considering Ohio State and says, you know what, I don't want to join them. I want to beat them. And I mean, that will largely, if you do end up going into Ohio, that will largely be determined by the coach you hire. Each coach, each coach has places they already have relationships in. But no matter who comes in, that needs to be a point of emphasis, in my opinion. Boots on the ground in Ohio.
Step number four, and you're going to have to bury your pride for this one, be active in the transfer portal. It's a new day and age in college football. You're not just signing on the dotted line as a 17-year-old and staying for four years. People are flipping. People are leaving. A talent like Justin Fields left Georgia. A talent like Joe Burrow left Ohio State. If these guys aren't playing, they're ready to go to the next one. You need to be active. Michigan's overall talent rating, according to people who do that, is number 17 in the country. That's the lowest it has ever been under Harbaugh. And that counts when he came in in 2015 and took over Brady Hoke's team. The D-line is already thin, and you're going to lose Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson. Guys like Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins who held out, they're likely leaving for the NFL. They're not opting in and coming back next year. So it's not like there's going to be some huge uh, infusion of talent or, or a ton returning. Of course, there are freshmen who are expected to make an impact, but you don't win big because you have a talented freshman class coming in. No one does. So and Michigan has never been that active in the portal. In fact, they lose more that way than they, than they get. And the attrition rate under Harbaugh is, under Harbaugh, easy enough for me to say, is actually quite high. And so you need to keep guys in your system. You can't be losing guys who haven't, either haven't cracked the field after their sophomore year, but have spent all that time learning the system and will soon be ready. You need to keep those guys. And if you're losing them, you damn sure better replace them in, in the portal. You need all the experience you can get, especially next year. And that will help next year, which is going to be another down year. It will help it not be another failure like this year. And you can maybe parlay into that, that into what would potentially be a more successful 2022 season. It's like that. You have to be forward thinking like that. You have to be looking that far down the line based on what's happened the last few years. I mean, look at Rutgers. Michigan is not Rutgers. I am not insulting them like that. But just about overnight, Rutgers went from an abject disaster into a bottom-tier yet semi-respectable Big Ten football institution. There is no, we have to be this way to win, or we have to do X, Y, Z in order to win, or it doesn't count. Bury your pride. Get talent on this roster any way you can. People are looking to move. Michigan State, up the road. Mel Tucker has already said, I am going to be extremely active in the transfer portal. It's 2020. Soon to be 2021. That's where we're at in college football. So that's step four. And the final step of the five-step process to get Michigan back to winning Big Ten titles might be the most important one. But you have to do all of these other things and move to next season and then do this once the season is there. Black out the record book. And it's so important because it goes hand-in-hand with not hiring a Michigan man for your coach, like I alluded to earlier. You need to strip the arrogance of this program. Peel the layers of the onion that have insulated this program into thinking it is something great and becoming okay with being mediocre. Peel all that back. Get to the vulnerable part where you're laying on a leather chair, looking up, talking to your therapist. That level of vulnerability. 
get there, and now you can start rebuilding and winning. I mean, there's examples of Michigan's arrogance getting in its way all over the place. Little, tiny things that don't seem like it, but they're, but they're there. I mean, just the other day, when Ward Manuel felt the need to address Kirk Herbstreet's comments about how Michigan conveniently got COVID in order to avoid playing Maryland and Ohio State, and then Manuel goes, this is Michigan, we're the winningest program of all time, blah, blah, blah. blah. First of all, Herbstreet took his comments back immediately, but did he need to? Put it this way, if Michigan is in the exact same position as Ohio State, they're 5-0, and they have to play this week in order to get to a Big Ten title game and potentially a college football playoff. Do you think they're playing? And yes, I know, that's deranged. It should be safety first. Look at what every single program in America did. There was too much money on the line. They could not lose all the money. They need the TV broadcasting rights deals. Like you can say, oh, but they're not selling any fans or con- concessions. I mean, or tickets. It's a drop in the bucket. The TV is where the money's made, and these teams had to play. Of course, throughout the season, I mean, if if you are in such a dire position that you literally can't play, you probably won't. Ohio State just had 23 players sit out against Michigan State. They found enough bodies who weren't infected. I don't know how the math checked out where they were below the acceptable rate, but they played. If Michigan is not 2-4 and four and they're 5-0 and oh, and, they, and they beat Ohio State 10 times in a row and they need to make it 11 to go win a national championship, I have a hunch they find a way to do just that. Just, just a feeling. And so, but that's, but that's neither here nor there. It's a little here nor there. But the point is, you need to bury the arrogance. Do you know who cares that Michigan is the winningest program of all time? Nobody. And if there is somebody who does care, the people who do care about that, the ones who contributed to it, half of them are dead. Since World War II, you have a share of one national championship. Bo never won a natty. Harbaugh hasn't gone to Indy. You win nothing of consequence and haven't for a very long time. So stop with the most wins ever nonsense. You have multiple wins against my high school that count for your record, Ann Arbor Pioneer, against Ann Arbor Pioneer, and against a deaf team, and against doctors from Canada who you taught to play football and then beat by 100. And, I mean, go look at the football film of any game before 1960. I mean, that, it's not real football. They're not even athletic. This is, uh, it's not the same game. So touting that is irrelevant. So let's just stop that. Maybe this is overkill, but honestly, I would do this next step. Take down, at least for a year or so, or for however long you need to, take down anything that talks about the past and the history and what makes you so special to go to Michigan. You know what? If you get recruited by Michigan... You are a damn good football player. You are. You were the man at your high school and in your town. And that's huge for you as a young man and for your family. And honestly, truthfully, congratulations. No snarkiness there whatsoever. I'm happy for anybody 
as a human who is able to have success in their life at that level. That's great. But do you know who cares about that once you're on the field? Nobody. Your winged helmet doesn't win you games. The 1930s championships doesn't give you a 7-0 lead to start with. you got to go out and hit the guy in front of you and earn it for 60 minutes. So do that. I don't want to hear anything that's not this team, this year, our guys, or the future of the program, where you're headed. That's all that matters, the here and now. And as soon as Michigan realizes that, they can get back to winning. That's not happening if they don't. It's, it's just not. You, hungry dog runs faster. Michigan should be starving. But they're watching videos of themselves eating 70 years ago and living vicariously through it. So let's go over the steps one more time. Fire Harbaugh and get somebody who doesn't have any ties to this program to replace him. Emphasize beating Ohio State every second of every day, whatever that means. Don't let people wear red in your locker room, even as socks. I don't know why they would because that doesn't match, but they might under their sweats. I mean, don't, don't even let your players own red clothing. Take all your red clothing, have a big bonfire, get all together, and burn it as a ritual. Do whatever you got to do, whatever it takes. <laughs> Re-emphasize the state of Ohio in recruiting. Start getting some guys from there because you need them because your recruiting is not up to par with the big boys, even though you think it is. There have been very, very solid, respectable recruiting classes, but it's not enough, and you need some of these local guys because you're not going to keep getting every single person from Michigan and honestly, Michigan's not enough. Even if you got the top 10 guys from Michigan, you need three of the top eight players from Ohio State year in and year out. You need that at least in order to be relevant. Step number four is get active in the transfer portal in order to boost next year's talent so players can show you who's got it, who doesn't. And you can parlay that going forward. And step five is unaffiliate yourself with the past. Only look forward. Remove the arrogance. And if Michigan does those things, there isn't a reason that you can't get to a Big Ten title game in three to five years. Alabama loses to teams in the SEC sometimes. Texas A&M has, has rised up and beat them. Florida has beat them. Georgia has beat them. LSU beat them last year. It happens to the premier teams in this country all the time. But you never do it to Ohio State. There's no reason that every cycle or so you shouldn't have a team that can, that can compete, that can really bang. There's no reason. You have the facilities. You have the draw as a, as a program to get people to come. There's four-star guys with pedigree trickling into this program, so there should be some talent. Just put it all together. I mean, there are certain places where you don't have to be a perennial power every year, but like I said, cyclically, every time that one special senior class stays long enough together, you rise up. I mean, those places, in my mind, that are either consistently or periodically should be playoff teams, I, I just mentioned some of them. Bama, Georgia, Florida, Clemson. 
Florida State, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. Those are 12 of the tippity-top programs in the country and have no reason not to be. And eight of those 12 teams have made the playoffs. And all but one of them have played for a conference title in the CFP era. Technically, Notre Dame was independent, but they're going to play for the conference title this year. And the one that hasn't is Michigan. There's no reason Michigan shouldn't be, shouldn't be sniffing meaningful games at the end of November and, and playing for something that matters later on. Do my five steps, and you'll get to do that. And so next up, it's going to be time for some brief thoughts on Michigan State. But before that, a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Cutting Edge Landscaping. No matter the time of year, Cutting Edge is the place to go for all of your outdoor needs. If you're looking to re-landscape or standard lawn care or leaf cleanup in the spring and fall or 24-hour, let me repeat, 24-hour snow and ice removal and that's the one we're all going to be needing soon but trust me all of these come in handy whenever you need them because you're working with the best in the business no matter your outdoor need cutting edge landscaping is the one to go to so visit a2cuttingedge.com tell them tony sent you when you ask for a quote and then sit back and relax knowing when you're in good hands it's that simple cutting edge landscaping and so you know who else is trying to decide if they're in good hands because you know you are with cutting edge landscaping. Is Michigan State in good hands with this coaching staff? They're now two and four in Mel Tucker's first season, and I, I, woof. I mean, you know, playing Ohio State is going to be bad, but man, Saturday was worse than expected. A 52-12 bludgering, and the fourth time in as many losses where Michigan State fell behind big early and could never really rally to come back and there's a lot of blame to go around for this one and before I mentioned three guys trending in the right direction and three guys maybe trending in the wrong direction I want to touch on what is the most major talking point and that's Rocky Lombardi versus Peyton Thorne and how that reflects on this coaching staff I, I mean I was asking it hypothetically to myself talking about it with some with some buddies and I, and I know other people are asking it. And, and the debate is over. Thorne looks more talented than Rocky. Rocky's a big guy who can throw a nice deep ball, but that's it. That's all he can do. A, a week ago against Northwestern, he showed some flashes of mobility. But that was more of a rumbling ability using his size like Big Ben early in his career more than it was a true dual threat guy. So if we can all see with our own eyes that Peyton Thorne is a more consistent quarterback with higher upside, why wasn't he the starter sooner? Why wasn't he starting sooner? And more relevantly, is it an indictment on the staff that it took Lombardi getting injured with six quarters remaining in the regular season to see Peyton Thorne? I mean, we saw him for half a game versus Indiana, but... That was a training wheels game, as I said before. This was the first time they truly let him play within the offense and let him throw the ball 
and said, go, go after it, kid. And my answer is this. They trotted Rocky out in the offseason as one of the faces of this team. He is a rah-rah guy. He is the most senior guy in that quarterback room. And a quarterback has to be one of the leaders. We remember the hullabaloo when Connor Cook was an elected captain his senior year. But he was still a leader. He was still on the, on the Eagle Council that, Dan, that D'Antonio used to have, the, the ring of leaders. He was looked at as a guy to turn to, whether he had the metaphorical C on his chest or not. You need a quarterback to look up to. And Rocky was, was the guy in the offseason. I mean, I, I heard from, from a few people that Peyton Thorne was theoretically supposed to get the start against Maryland coming off of his playing time in that Indiana loss. But COVID wiped that game out. And in the ensuing week of practice, Lombardi outplayed Thorne once again to the point where he got the nod against Northwestern. And then, despite connecting on just 11 of 27 passes, he led them to a win over number 8 Northwestern. So he's obviously getting the start over Ohio State too. I mean, I think it was a combination of him not losing the job in the offseason and then just as he's about to lose the job every time in the regular season, putting enough together in two very big wins for this season, for this staff, and for this program that helped him keep the job. But it is very clear now. Very, very, very obvious. Injured or not, Thorne will start against Penn State. And likely the crossover game after that. As he should. So I just wanted to touch on if that is a really bad sign that Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson can't identify who is the better player, or if they're just, it's somewhat close in practice. And I can believe that it is. Thorne is still young, and Rocky has flashes. We've all seen the flashes of being competent. So if Thorne can't obviously separate himself, it, it, it makes sense. They stuck with him too, they stuck with Rocky too long, but it made sense that that was where you started if you're Michigan State. And so that brings us to stock up, stock down, and naturally number one is, of course, Peyton Thorne. He was 16 of 25 in the game for 147 yards and a pick, and then he ran it nine times for 42 yards and a score, including a 20-yard touchdown run. He completed his first 11 passes and hit his favorite target, Jaden Reed, on a really big 55-yard pass play right before his touchdown run. And he looked surprisingly to me, calm for this being just his second collegiate action, coming against the best team he will see. Bar none. Not even close. He was calm. He he ra- rallied the troops for if you want to give it a nice cliche. He moved the offense methodically. He had a bad pick. He had an untimely fumble. Those things are going to happen. But the offense looked a lot better when he was running it. And number two stock up is Jaden Reed. And these are sort of tied to one another. We saw it against Indiana, and we've heard about it all offseason. Thorne and Reed have played together since their youth. They clearly have a chemistry. That's not just talk. That's not just an easy point for the ESPN broadcast to make and then flash back to some old pictures and and montages of of them playing together when they're 12 years old and Pop Warner. It's real. (laughs) It's clear. Reed had five catches for 79 yards, all of which came from Thorne. And Reed is electric on the outside. 
and he should be featured as frequently as possible in this offense. By Thorne being in the game, that helps Reed. It's that simple. And now these two are going to get the chance to work together. And as I was talking about the transfer portal with Michigan earlier, Michigan State is going to be looking for a quarterback in the transfer portal. And Peyton Thorne is going to have to prove he's going to have two more games of film to give this coaching staff something to think about and then an offseason to say, no, I can be the guy for this program going forward until you find the next quarterback. And number three in my stock up, stock down count, number three on the stock up side, is Michael Fletcher. And on the one hand, he had a crucial penalty on the game's opening drive for Ohio State, on Ohio State's opening drive. Michigan State had gotten off the field on third down, and he hit Justin Fields in the head and gave the Buckeyes a free set of downs. And then, you know, march, 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 six plays or so later, Ohio State scores. That's a learning moment for the redshirt freshman. But outside of that, I mean, he continues to pop on film. He had two sacks as part of his three tackles. And coming out of Flint, he was ranked the top defensive prospect defensive prospect in the state in 2019. I mean, this is not coming out of no- nowhere. He's athletic. He's long. He's rangy. And he's surprisingly quick. I mean, he, I, mean I, I could have given a couple of other guys a nod here. Drew Beasley. Beasley's been very good. Naquan Jones. I, Antoine Simmons. I just didn't want to give it to a senior because, I mean, yeah, it's great if your stock is up. You have two games left. That's not who we're looking at right now. And then stock down. I know this is weird to start with a punter, but I have to say Bryce Berenger. I mean, especially when you compare him to what Drew Christman did. This was as glaring a mismatch as anything on the field between Michigan State Ohio, and Ohio State, and that is saying something. <laughs> because Ohio State had a huge advantage at every single position on the field. Every one of them. And this one stood out to me as much as any of them. And special teams rarely stand out like this. Behringer had a 33-yard punt that was caught at the Ohio State 25. He, and he only punted at 33 yards, and it wasn't really a shank. It stayed right in the middle of the field. Only to send the next punt 56 yards, two-thirds of the way deep into the end zone. I mean, he punted 10 times and didn't put OSU inside of its... 10, 12-yard line once. A 13 was the, was the worst start. At the 13-yard line was the worst starting field position Ohio State ever had. Michigan State had to start inside its five twice on three Ohio State punts. I mean, he's not supposed to be a D1 kicker. Michigan State literally, literally got him off the couch when they had so many injuries at the punting position a, a year ago. But with the type of ball Michigan State wants to play, run heavy, possession football that has quick strike ability but is really just overall fundamentally sound in all three phases which we have not seen this year but that is the goal you have to be able to flip the field and Michigan State can't do that the defense was never in a situation where it could pin its ears back and just try to get get a safety or know that they're going to have to run just to get some breathing room and you can really just go downhill so 10 punts, not one of them well executed. I mean, your stock is all the way down. Number two is offensive coordinator Jay Johnson. And look, I know MSU was going to lose this game. 
We all did. But the level of conservative play calling was worrisome. I said it earlier this year. I disagreed with all three fourth down calls that Michigan State had against Michigan. I disagreed with some of the field goal calls that they tried last week against Northwestern. Those all happened to work out. But in the same way where I will roll a nine iron 133 yards that ends up 14 feet from the pin, that's not, that's not, uh, you can't replicate that. That's not consistent. You, you lucked into it. You did not execute your way into it. And, I mean, Johnson was insanely conservative and didn't attack the Buckeye secondary at all, which was the biggest weakness of their team. But the biggest joke of a call was the first possession of the second half. You're down by four scores and have it fourth and six at the Ohio State 42. And you punt? I mean, maybe that's Mel Tucker's call since it's a fourth down play call. But regardless, the offensive play calling was too conservative. And that's waving white flag. How do you expect your players to go out there and play like their hair is on fire and really fight their ass off when you have already conceded a loss? It's just inexcusable. You'd already, like, you'd gone, you'd gone three and out so many times this game, and you're finally moving the ball. And another time early in the game when you're down seven to nothing, Michigan State gained 15 and a half yards on a third and 16. When Elijah when Elijah Collins had had his best run of the game, and you punt, it's seven. You're down seven zero against a team that you know you're going to have to be in a track meet with in order to win, and your defense has already spent the vast majority of the first quarter on the field. I mean, you're not going to stop Ohio State a million times. You have to be aggressive in order to pull off an upset like this. Fourth and a foot. I mean, take your chances. So the, the conservative play calling is definitely stocked down for me. And third was the secondary. Look, Shakur Brown has been great this year. But nobody, not Jack, nobody could hang with Ohio State's receivers. Chris Olave and uh, Wilson, Garrett Wilson. They only combined for 13 catches for 198 yards and two touchdowns. And if they needed more, like... To double that, they could have without breaking a sweat. I mean, Michigan State secondary can't keep up with guys in the upper echelon of receivers when they're in man coverage. The two best quarterbacks they've seen, Michael Penix and Justin Fields, torched them, destroyed them, each with more than 300 yards of offense and three-plus touchdowns without breaking a sweat. So... The four-two-five that has looked good at times, it did not feel like there were five defensive backs on the field for Michigan State on Saturday. Felt like there were three. So that's a quick three up, three down. And next week's game against Penn State will be an interesting measuring stick because it's been really frustrating for Michigan State, either playing games that are nearly flawless or games that have almost no positives at all. It's with no rhyme or reason as to why, seemingly. It's, it's really confusing. And Penn State has its confidence back after two straight wins. And Michigan State is coming off of its third demoralizing loss in its last four games. But it's one of the final games of the season. So I think we can learn a lot about this coaching staff and about the mental fortitude of these players next week. Look, there's nothing to play for except the future. 
So let's see it. Let's see what you got. I'm not ready to... Even after the win against Northwestern, I said that there was hope and reason to have confidence in this staff and where they're headed. That doesn't mean they're there. And that doesn't mean there's not a lot to be concerned about. There clearly, clearly is. But you got you have limited options at this point with what with what you can do and what you have shown. But you're running a new quarterback out there. And I mean you you can't hold anything back at this point. You need to play aggressively. You need to figure out who are your guys and there's nothing to lose. <laughs> there is nothing to lose. That's the point. So don't be conservative against Penn State. Play like you want to win. So that's all the time we have on this episode. And coming up later this week, we are going to take a look at both of the college basketball teams and how they fared in their Big Ten ACC Challenge matchups. Michigan plays unbeaten and unranked NC State, and then Michigan State follows in the nightcap against number 15 Virginia. It's going to be a battle of the Hauser brothers and Joey Hauser. Uh, just last night on Sunday against Western Michigan, had his best game as a Spartan with uh, 24 points, 10 rebounds, 6 triples. So going into the game against his brother with some momentum, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. But more importantly, Virginia is a very tough defense. NC State is always always punches up, it feels like. Every year they either beat Duke or North Carolina at least once. And, and I, th- I think they can hang with Michigan. It's it's a good measuring stick game. Michigan had a scare against Oakland, had to battle its way against Bowling Green. Started out slow against Central Florida and then went on like a 60 to 18 run. So I mean, they they've had a little bit of adversity, but this is their real first test. So it will be fun to see. And then after that, we'll do a mailbag. I've been promising it for a while now and it feels like a good time to do it. So I'm going to put it out there on Twitter. You can follow me at RealTonyGarcia. Uh, you can text me if you have my phone number. But follow me on Twitter or just get, get a hold of me. And we will, and I will answer any questions on the Detroit sports landscape, Michigan, Michigan State, whatever you have. And it can be anything related to any of those teams, even ones we haven't touched on, like the Wings or the Tigers. I mean, winter meetings are coming up in baseball this week. That's always a really busy time. Or the Lions. I mean, I hate them so much right now. It's really hard to describe. The Coming off the grossest, most useless win against Chicago, maybe in Lions history. I, I don't know. Maybe you're wor- wondering about their future. Because uh, technically, I mean, you see beat writers. And yes, it's their job. So I'm not mad at them. Talking about, oh, well, don't look now. The Lions are one game out of the playoffs. Shove it up your you-know-what. They have to play the Packers, the Titans, the Bucks, and the Vikings. All four teams who are ahead of them and way more talented. The Lions aren't winning another game. And if they do, I'm just going to be even more pissed off. So whatever it is, send it my way, and I'll try to tackle it. Once again, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Stay healthy, everybody. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon, Michigan.